Welcome back to the Talking Footy podcast. Now, each week across the footy season, we're talking with the biggest names in our game. I'm Brian Taylor, and this week our guest is Eddie Maguire. In addition to being president of the Collingwood Football Club, the largest sporting club in the country, Eddie is host of Millionaire Hot Seat on Nine. He's the Triple M Hot Breakfast host of The Breakfast Show as well and commentator with Fox Footy. Chairman of a media production company, Jam TV, and, of course, the proud husband to Carla and the father to two boys, Alexander and Joseph. In this podcast, I discuss with Eddie about his first big break in the sports journalism field. The bloke who was called the stats man, or the phone man as they were known, was crook and they needed someone at the last minute and Frank said, oh, look, I reckon my brother could do this, no problem. They didn't ask how old I was and I was 13, so I turned up in one of his suits <laughs> and, uh, and away we went. And we'll also talk about the current state of the Collingwood Footy Club. The idea of the changeover with Mick was to hand the baton over while we still had some horsepower, knowing that invariably you come down. You have to. That's what the AFL system does to you. We're talking footy. Welcome, Ed. Hey, Brian. How are you, mate? Now, on the back of that introduction, you, uh, are you Australia's busiest person? <laughs> I think there's plenty of busy people, Brian. Uh, no, no, Ed. You, you hold about five occupations that are full-time. Yeah, they are. It, it is. It does get busy. It's, the day starts at half past four in the morning and uh, some uh, nights, uh, well, certainly on a Friday night, doesn't finish till half past 11 at night. And uh, as you know, with uh, football calling, it's, uh, it's ever-present over, over a weekend. So, it, it, look, it's busy, but it's what I thrive on. I like having the multitasking going. It keeps me busy. Um, I think I've been lucky in uh, all through my TV and radio career that I've done different shows. Uh, the Breakfast Show is different to uh, doing the, the footy show in the old days. It's different to uh, calling football. It's different to doing hot set. It's different to doing, you know, what I do now on a Friday night. So they're all different things. So while I do a lot of uh, things, I, I find it... Uh, must be very hard for some of my colleagues in the media who are talking about the same topic on three or four different forums all the time. Whereas, you know, I, I drift in and out of the football, go into politics, do but, different things see, all the time. See, this is great. But I think I'm busy and I just call two days a week. And I, that's a full-time job for me, Ed. So, yeah. you know, you're, you have an insatiable thirst and appetite for work, don't you? Look, I, I really enjoy... The challenges of it. I, I like coming up with ideas and testing them to see if they work and then when they come off, it's it's really gratifying. I mean, that's the thing that I, I really like. Um, I mean, even at Collingwood, we do a lot of things that uh, probably outside of football clubs remit, uh, if you like. You know, the, the charities that we do, the homeless, you know, and I'm as proud of the fact that 3,000 people get fed every week, uh, that 300 people sleep in their houses in, in a cold Melbourne winter you know, if the Pies are winning or losing, when we sing the song, we're singing it for a lot of people who uh, people don't know about. Uh, and, you know, the women's football and the women's netball have been sensational. have brought a new element to our club. The, uh, you know, moving from Victoria Park to the Holden Centre and the MCG, the refurbing of what we want to do at Victoria Park. So we keep going around in the, yeah. in the three pillars, if you like. They're all things that are challenging. So you're property developing, you're, you know, doing the football doing team, you're trying to get uh, recruits in, look after the blokes you've got, come up with the best the world's best practice for sport. Um, then there's the commercial side of it. Yeah, so it's it's busy. It sometimes can get a little overwhelming, but most of the time it, it ticks along nicely. The, the key, of course, is having great people in each of those positions to work with you. Yeah, it's a great cross-section, that's for sure. We're sitting, for those people, this is an audio thing, obviously, but we're sitting in, in your office, which is just a beautiful space, comfortable. Is this, is this where you come to get away from everything? Is this your sanctuary? Uh, here at home, yeah. yeah. I, I still, I think everyone's... Uh, to, to use the old cliche, is their home is their castle. And I know of a night time, regardless of whether it's been a good day or a, or a hard day or a bad day, uh, when I drive in the gates at home and they shut behind me and I drive into the garage, walk into the house and my wife's there and my two boys and, uh, you know, the dinner's on, uh, it, it just makes it all worthwhile. And, uh, and that, that's sort of what you work for. I, I don't think, Brian, that... Um, there's no great uh, trick in any of this. It's the same ambition that my dad came with coming from Scotland and my mum from Ireland, and that was, and I think it's what you do of a, of a day, and most people out there. We, you know what we want to do? We want to be able to have a nice house. We want to be able to have a few hobbies. We want to pay for our kids, look after our parents, and have something stacked away when the time comes when we, yep. uh, we're True. through. And, and that's it. If you get a holiday or two a year, then you're, you're absolutely killing them. Yeah. And that's all we do. That's what everyone's doing. 
All right, let's go back to almost the start. The boy, <laughs> the boy from Broadie, you just mentioned your parents there. Yeah. How long? How long were you there? I know you got you, you got an opportunity for scholarships yourself and your brother Frank yeah. to go to CBC in St Kilda. But before that, how long were you in Broadie? I know I lived in Broadie for twenty three years. Really? Yeah. No, I grew up in Broadie. I didn't leave until I was twenty three years of age. Lived in uh, one of those uh, pastel coloured uh, concrete commission houses. Yeah. Uh, no, I lived. Uh, I lived all my life there. Um, you know, I was working at Channel Ten for five, oh, five years. I started on the radio. Uh, in fact, I just started on the radio, and then I, I bought a one-bedroom flat in South Melbourne, <laughs> and by pure fluke, Triple M was in South Melbourne. So that right. was a bit of serendipity. But no, twenty-three years of Brody. Um, it's all I knew. My parents came out to Australia. They they moved into uh, Richmond in the first instance. Uh, my uncle lived there. I could have been a Richmond uh, Blake Bryan. Yeah. You know, that's like a bit wow. off at Collingwood, I reckon. You but, could have uh, gone in a different direction you if you were in Richmond. could have gone a whole different direction. <laughs> I would have been axed 15 times by now. But uh, uh, so th- then they lived uh, in Oakley with my other uncle. My 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 mother's two brothers had come out ahead. Uh, in fact, three brothers had come out ahead and started up uh, construction businesses in Melbourne. And uh, Dad came out. He got off the boat, got a job the next day, and stayed in that job until the day he retired at the Border Works. So he was uh, he put in a lot of the uh, sewerage uh, in Melbourne, and uh, he was a a dunny diver for a while, as they say, and finished up as as a storm. And he was he started off at the bottom and became an inspector, and uh, you know did well, but stayed there because of the security and because he was you know his his sole purpose in life was to provide for us to have the opportunity that he didn't have coming out of Glasgow. He started as a coal miner when he was uh, 12 years of age and his break to get out of the coals was uh, to coal mines was World War II. So he deserved the break. He was 40 uh, when he uh, 40 odd when he came to Australia. He was uh, he was 41, 42 years of age when he came to Australia. They landed in 1958, great year for the Magpies. Yeah. And uh, Frank was uh, nine months old and my sister, elder sister Evelyn was uh, five years of age. So they, they were the, the classic immigrant family. Two suitcases, five pounds, two kids. <laughs> uh, but luckily had uh, a couple of uh, uh, relatives they could live with so they didn't have to go into the, uh, into the immigrant camps. And then uh, my mum went in and she... Uh, Drove the uh, the housing commission mad. Apparently, we didn't quite qualify, but she sat there all day, every day, until the bloke, uh, in the end, uh, relented. She, well, she found out. It's a good story, actually. She found she was listening to the the secretary uh, and uh, twigged that he he was obviously had some dramas at home. One of these kids seemed to be sick, and when she came in for the interview, she asked him how he was, how the kid was, and. You know, I think the bloke had had a hard day, and somebody was giving him a bit of love back. And uh, in the end, he said, "Look." I don't want to give you this, but we've got one place at the bottom of the <laughs> drawer. And he pulled out and said, there's a place called Broad Meadows. And Dad, by coincidence, had worked there about three months earlier and he called it Tombstone Territory. He said, I've never seen a place. That, he said, the wind's rocking through. And For those listening around the country, Broad Meadows is a very much a working-class suburb in the northern suburbs of Melbourne. And in those days, it was the end of the line. It was yep. the last suburb, so there was nothing but uh, paddocks behind Nothing between us. that and Sydney, yeah. That's it. And there was no sewage in those days. It had the thunderbox out the back yep. and uh, even the water was, uh, was coming in. Uh, they didn't have the, the water connected that well at that stage. In the end... It, by pure coincidence, again, Dad actually connected the water from the the the, uh, the new water tanks up in Dallas. Anyway, long story short, um, Mum nearly took the skin off his hand. This was going to be their home, and they could be independent. And they landed out in Broad Meadows and sat mm. on boxes for a couple of weeks. And Dad had worked hard over the year and bought all the furniture, and away they went. So. You go to CBC, you and Frank get these scholarships and you go to CBC in St Kilda, which would have been a big deal, you know, getting out of Broadie and going to there to go to a nice school. Yeah. And the the journalism break came for you at a very, very young age, 14 years of age. Yeah, 13 actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what what happened, we we both won scholarships um, and and I remember the day coming home from school. My mum was sick for a while and I used to come home at lunchtime and go and do the shopping and have lunch with him, then I'd get back and and play footy in the in uh, in the schoolyards. And uh, I was I remember the day it was we were due for the results to come, and uh, Mum was standing at the letterbox and she had the letter in her hand. She opened it up and it was like Willy Wonka's golden ticket, you know. Because <laughs> for me, going to CBC and Kilda's like going yeah. to Oxford University, but yeah. it was also mentally it meant that I was out, if you like. Not the I had a great experience in Broadie. But for me, the, the the wider world was out there. My parents were international people in a humble way, yeah. but they knew there was a bigger world for us to have. And um, you know, my older sister won the, one of the first Commonwealth scholarships for many one from Broadie, and Frank had been uh, had uh, my brother was dominated uh, junior sport out there and was a local hero. And so him going to CBC St Kilda. So from the time I was five years of age, 
this was my goal. And I had a couple of wonderful teachers at primary school at St Dominic's and Broadmeadows who just set me aside and, and just taught me. They just tutored me to get this scholarship. So I got it, which was great. So going there, Brian, yeah, it was. It was a big time. And for me, and, and you've probably worked with me long enough to, to know, you know, I, I got there and I looked around and I thought, right, OK, here we go. I'm in the A-League here. This is, this is the big time. <laughs> you know, little did yeah. I know it was just a school. But, uh, but for me, it was an opportunity to test myself, um, playing sport in the Associated Catholic Colleges League, but also academically. And, How uh, good were you academically? I, I was pretty good as a, as a kid, but, you know, like everything, you know, so many things happened in my life that it, it, it didn't necessarily dominate my, uh, you know, I wasn't, uh, in the end, didn't do uh, straight A's or anything in, in VCE but, uh, or HSE, but what I was doing at that stage, you know, we'll get to this eventually, but I was working at Channel 10 and my, my world had opened up for me. So coming back to the journalism side of things, Frank, my brother, uh, became a cadet at the Herald. And uh, he was doing some. He was doing footy as well as uh, politics and different things. And they needed one day the the bloke who was called the stats man or the phone man, as they were known, uh, was crook. And they needed somebody at the last minute. And Frank said, "Oh, look, I reckon my brother could do this. No problem." They didn't ask how old I was, and I was thirteen. <laughs> so I turned up in one of his suits, <laughs> and uh, and away we went. And of course, what happened, Brian, was at the end of the game, you'd run down, I'd run down, uh, and none of the other blokes, because they generally they were the retired guys yeah. doing it for a bit of beer money. And I'd run down in the rooms, get the injuries and the reports, and they started holding the paper open for us. And then, of course, you know, so Frank would file his copy over the phone to a copy taker in those days. I'd run down, get all that stuff. Then he'd run down and I'd come up and start filing. And if there was a major injury, I'd actually knock over a couple of pars. You know, I'd give six pars over the phone as well. And uh, the following end of the footy season, uh, they needed somebody to be a district cricket reporter for AAP. And uh, I got the gig. Wow. And again, they didn't find out until I was 15 how young I was. Yeah. And luckily I shot up a bit at that stage and could uh, sort of pass myself off as being 17 or 18. I, I know there was cricket involved there, but was, was footy always the target? Uh, or was that just, you just trip over it? No, footy was everything. Footy was my life. Right. That's all it made. It, I was obsessed um, with the Collingwood playing. Playing was everything to me. I mean, I still can't believe that I went cold turkey at the end of school when I got the job at 10. But... Uh, uh, you know, in some some ways, that's the probably major regret that I didn't play even local footy um, because I just love the game so much. You did play to a decent level, though, didn't you? Yeah, no, I played. I was, you know, you know, I won the best and fairest yeah. every year. I played at sort of at school footy and uh, junior footy, yep. but that was it. And then I got the I got I was at North Melbourne, and Dennis Pagan was uh, my coach in the under nineteens, and did the preseason. And I actually we had the first uh, uh, first practice match, and I said to him, "Do you mind if I play the first two quarters because I've got to go and." Uh, cover the district cricket match. <laughs> that, would, that would have gone down well with him. Well, yeah, I didn't, didn't realise how well. I thought I might have got a, you know, good on you, son, that's great you're doing. He's, anyway, after a couple of weeks of this going on, he said, you're going to have to make a call here. And Channel 10 at the same time said to me, you're going to have to make a call. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, the, the TV just looked great. It was a pretty hot side in the under-19s at North Melbourne. Peter yeah. German, uh, Matty Lark. Yeah, and, they were hot. You know, John Holt, all those guys were running around and... Uh, uh, I made a, an easy call. Uh, so, so, so then it does. It opens up the doors at yeah. Channel Seven and that Channel Ten, yeah, uh, Channel Ten. Sorry, and and that flourishes. And uh, you know, there was yourself and Steve Quatermain, the dynamic duo for many, many years. Yeah, but we, you were both doing the same thing, both sports reporting, were you not? Yeah, we were. And uh, look, what happened was I, I started getting uh, attention from Nine and Seven. They, they made offers to me and. It's a bit old school these days. Uh, maybe I don't think uh, Generation Y would be into this, but I was told very early on, and Frank was uh, very strong on this as well, that you serve your cadetship and you give the first offer to your own, to Channel 10, in other right. words. So when the offer started coming, I went in and said, look, this is what's going on. So I, I served my cadetship. I didn't ask to be you know, uh, promoted or anything. And yep. then I was lucky enough, I went through... In those days, he went from D grade to A grade journalist, and uh, I think they, you know, what, I think I was an A grade within six months of coming out of my cadetship, and then uh, the, the offers kept coming, and I stayed at Channel Ten, and ultimately what they did was uh, quarters uh, was wanting to uh, present more than me, wanting to report more, so he did weekends. Bruce right. McIverney did Monday to Friday. Gee, what a trio! Yeah, and Tony Banks uh, and Clem Dimsey were the other guys in the team, and then. Uh, so I was doing all the reporting and then Bruce left and then uh, I was appointed to be the sports presenter uh, and uh, Quarters and I, well, we worked it out with Neil Miller and David Johnson. I said, look, I'd rather still present the footy, do the footy. So Quarters presented uh, Monday to Friday 
and uh, and I think he might have done weekends as well, or Peter Donegan might have done weekends. Yeah. And uh, I, anyway, I did the footy, and then uh, during the summer I did the presenting Monday to Friday. So we had a good balance between yeah. the two of us yeah. in the end, which was you know we were great friends, but it, you know we were competitors as well. Yeah, and it could have become quite volatile, but it didn't. Yeah. Thank, thank goodness. I think the separation was. You know, in '93 was great for both of you because it gave you both the space to do what you were good at, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, and Quarters always had his eye on the news reading, and I had my eye on, on other things. I wasn't quite sure what those other things were, but starting doing sportsmen's nights and then starting on the radio was that the best practice for the best. talking on TV live? The best, yeah, that and radio. And what radio did, I started on Triple M with the D generation as a sports guy. Is you know, it's very hard to show flair on a news service because you have to be pretty mm. much, you know, Sam Eagle with yeah. your reporting and all that sort of stuff. But one of the things I got offered, a, I don't know, as I said, seven or nine offered me a job. I think it was seven at this stage. And I wanted to call football. And seven said, well, if you come here, you got more chance of calling it than where you are. And uh, But there wasn't, they weren't really coming after me as yeah. well as I would have liked at that yeah. stage. And I had a pretty good gig at Channel 10 anyway. Neil Miller and David Johnson came up with his doing the round segment. So I had my own segment where I could do anything I wanted. I could do funny stories, breaking stories, live crosses, tribunals, breaking into you know the, the, the movies and the big shows. So it gave me a wonderful platform. And I remember, Brian, I'll tell you a funny story. I was whinging to my mate Colin Deludis one time. Oh, and yeah. Colin owned Westco Jeans at this stage. And uh, I was saying to him, mate, I'm doing eight, nine minutes of stories and I'm staying out late. And I said, the bloke is the chief political reporter. He's getting three times the money I'm on. And, you know, and he said, hey, he said, look, I'm paying $10,000 to get the last ad before you come on <laughs> for Westco Jeans. Think about how much money that is promoting yourself. Yeah. And I went, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Anyway, so the, we got stuck into that. And then the radio came and that really kicked me along. Yep. And it gave me a chance to broaden my personality on air, to you know, do gags, have a bit of fun. It was a great program, the D-Gen. The yeah. D-Gen were yeah. magnificent. Yeah. And you know, Jane and Rob, uh, Jane... Uh, They're long-time friends, Jane Kenny, Rob Sitch, uh, you know, emceed my wedding. Uh, yep. You know, uh, God, uh, parents to my kids, uh, to my son. Just great friends. So... Um, that was a wonderful experience for me to do, but it gave me a wider range then. And then I started getting onto a few OBs and uh, first at the races, I, I stood at the, the, the starting stalls at the Melbourne Cup, nearly got yeah. my head kicked off by a horse. <laughs> Bruce McEvaney said, mate, at least you're on the coverage, start there. <laughs> so I started there in the back, literally looking at the horse's backsides. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I started doing the Ironman, which became successful. And then Quarters and I did a show called Sports Night, uh, Sports Week uh, on a Sunday night. And it raided through the roof. It started going berserk. We were getting paid nothing, but we were getting on and Steve Pritchard was the producer and yep. between the three of us, we'd do the news on a Sunday, then we'd write an entire hour sports show and present it and get guests on and we had so much fun. Anyway, it, it started taking off and that's when I got picked up a bit by on the radar by Channel Well, you did in, in, in 93, I think it was, 94. Yeah, 93 you went to Channel 9. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Uh, Tim Webster got sports tonight and Quarters and I thought that we were going to host a national mm. sports show. Jeez, that would upset you. Well, it, it didn't go down well. And uh, more to the point, that same time, Larry Emder was doing a quiz, uh, doing Prices Right or something on Channel 7, and they got him back to do the Ironman, oh. which had had record ratings. Two non-sports guys. Two non-sports guys from Sydney, and we were sort of cast aside. So uh, I remember going to this, the, the uh, general manager at the time, Jerry Thorley, who had... Worked pretty hard at various stages to keep me. And at this stage, nine, uh, 10 was going through liquidation and all sorts of different things. And he said to me, he said, the next time you get a good offer, you might want to have a look at it because this place is going to change yeah, direction wow. completely. Okay. So it had become very Sydney-focused. And uh, as much as I loved and was so loyal to Channel 10, even Neil Miller and David Johnson in the end shook my hand and wished me all the best. Yeah. And, and uh, over to nine, I went. Well, and then you end up at Channel 9 in 1993. The footy show starts in 1994. You didn't know that that was on the agenda, though, did you? No, I did. That was, that oh, you was, did? No, that was the negotiation. And I've still got the uh, contract over there. It's on, right. a, it's on a coaster because I was told there's a keep-off-the-grass <laughs> agreement between all the networks at the moment not to poach each other's staff. Right. So you're going to have to retire oh. or resign and we'll find you on a beach somewhere, they said. I said, oh, yeah, you're kidding, aren't you? So Ian Johnson wrote on, on a beer coaster, you're in, Ian Johnson. Yeah, threw it Channel 9's Ian Johnson. Ian Johnson, yeah, yeah who yeah. was the, the bloke. Who, and he said to me, we want to start up a, a footy show based on what you did with uh, a bit with Quarters, also a show called The Sports Show. I did a 20-minute window with uh, Ted Witten and Simon Madden, which really kicked it off. 
and then the success of the Sunday show doing a Friday night show that, that year before, the Friday before the grand final. So they had an appetite for this. Right. And Jono thought, yeah, there's a, the time because, you know, World of Sport and league teams had finished, had been out for a while and there was nothing really happening in that space. And I think the thing, big, big thing about the show then was that it involved current footballers, which was, was unheard of. Current footballers... Young, vibrant guys, and uh, you know the makeup of the panel. Uh, it's pretty simple if you look at it. I had a legend, a character, and a young star, mm. and Sam Newman sitting there. And I look back at it now, and it was pretty bolshy, I suppose, for yeah. you know young bloke. I was only twenty nine or thirty, I think. And uh, uh, but anyway, out we came, and uh, and that was the start of it, and it changed my life forever. It did, and that went. Sh- I think you were involved in that show for twelve or thirteen years mm. before you eventually became the boss of the Nine Network. Um, were you worried about going to Sydney and doing that job? I mean, it was obviously something you, you wanted to do, you know, it was a natural path for you, but were you concerned about the way Sydney do things and the way Melbourne do things? Well, I was probably surprised when I, even when I got up there, Brian, how different the Sydney station was to the Melbourne station uh, in, in culture, in thought patterns, in everything. It was, it's a different... Look, Melbourne and Sydney aren't different cities. They're different planets. You know, Melbourne has got has probably uh, got more in common with Boston than it does with Sydney, to be perfectly honest. So it was it was a different situation, but also we went up uh, with a plan in mind on how we were going to rejuvenate Nine and turn it into a production hub and all these type of things, which was to my forehand. It was exactly what I wanted to do. I'd probably had enough of, you know, the, doing what I was doing at that stage. You know, one of the the traps of success is that you get trapped. And, uh, you know, I wanted to do other things. I didn't want to think that my best day of my life had, you know, was at 29 years of age. I wanted to, you know, keep pushing myself. And I love the business side of it and I love the creative side of it. So we got up there and, uh, you know, people write different reviews on it and I'm not going to rewrite history here, but we sold Channel 9 for $5.5 billion. Now, James Packer and uh, John Alexander and people had a major role in it. I had a minor role in it. But we did do a lot of great things and set up dramas and, uh, we, you know, we... we we plotted and uh, got the London Olympic Games and different things. So, And ultimately, we started shaping Channel 9 into where television has got to 10 years later. Mm. You know, I came back from, uh, from Sydney. I remember having a meeting with all the Melbourne football journalists in at Collingwood one day. And this might have been where uh, Caroline Wilson and I crossed swords uh, in, the, in the first instance. We had a bit of a barney over the table with the other journos there. And I said to them, you guys have got to realise this industry... This journalism industry is going to be turned on its head. It's the the it's gone. It's a completely new world coming. You're going to, we're going to have more people working in the Collingwood media department soon than what you'll have in the newspapers. That's pretty true. Well, it is now. <laughs> it took ten years, but it's right. Yeah. And they scoffed. And you know, in those days, it was oh, you need us because your sponsors want to be in the paper. And I said, no, we don't want to be in the paper anymore because the only time we're in the paper is when you're making us look like goats, or, or ringing our sponsors to see if you're pulling out. And that's why. You know, the TV, I think, has done so well over the journey is because of the live factor. You know, you, you turn on Channel 7, you're watching the footy. It's still there and there's still a lot of fun. I mean, the way you called, Brian, and, you know, I know this is an interview about me, but I think the way that you've called and haven't gone to a deadpan accountant's version of calling the football mm. has kept the game alive. Mm. And that's what we need. We need that's the something we've learnt off guys like Lou Richards. Well, You've got yeah, to have some personality in it. Lou's funeral uh, moved me profoundly and readjusted my thinking as to how I want to be involved in football for the rest of the time I'm involved in football. And that is to go back to when you and I used to have a beer at the Richmond Social Club together and have some fun and go out and uh, try and beat up mm. the opposition and knock yeah. off their players but have a, have a drink at yeah. the end of it. And I hope that the journalism profession starts to get back to that yeah. as well. You can be competitive, but uh, there's, there's enough room for everybody in this town if you're good enough. Sunday, join us for Game Day. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our 10th season of Game Day. Hosted by Hamish McLaughlin, every Sunday at 10am on the channels of 7. She caught up exclusively with Rui this morning. They're pretty confident as well that structurally it's OK. Christian Petrarca's in love with Christian Petrarca. <laughs> it's where all of footy's big names come to play. 1999, you get the opportunity to be the president of a club that you just absolutely loved and you gave great support yeah. before that. You're now in your 19th year. Um, the year you took over, Collingwood finished last on the ladder. The club was 
we didn't realise as players at the time, but it was absolutely gone financially. Yeah. It was in big trouble. Victoria Park was becoming more and more dilapidated by the day. Why, why would you want to take on a club that had all that against it? Well, Brian, I suppose it, it started when I was uh, helping Kevin Rose trying to get some sponsorships and uh, there was a, a sponsorship called Viatel that fell over and the club was, was in, in really bad shape and I just wanted to help and Fitzroy hadn't long gone and at that stage every year that you were going backwards was going to cost you five years in my mind. And the league was looking for rationalisation. Now, you'd think, would they rationalise Collingwood? Well, the first time and only time that I ever went to the AFL to ask for any help, which was for one month to get us over a period where we had cash flow problems, they, the first thing they put on the table was playing interstate. And I couldn't believe it. I said, we've carried this competition for 110 years. What are you talking about? Yeah. And I said, we'll come good. Don't worry about it. You know, and it was Wayne Jackson, who's a South Australian, and maybe he didn't understand how big Collingwood was, but... Uh, Ian Collins was in the room and he sort of nodded to me that, yeah, relax, you know. But we, we were pretty firm in saying, well, we won't be coming back to you guys again, but from here on in, we're the independent nation of Collingwood. And in <laughs> a lot of ways, you know, that, that formed a change for me because I was, you know, trying to always sort of kept a nice guy <laughs> before that and suddenly it was, it was bare-knuckle fighting for every, every dollar, every sponsor, every coach, player, you name it, every bit of furniture we had to start from scratch. So in a lot of ways it was great to have 110 years of unbelievable history of the Collingwood Football Club, or close enough to 110 years, and then to reform it into a, a new era. And that's what we're, we're trying to do again. Completely transformed it. Like, you can't recognise the new Collingwood from the old Collingwood, really. Well, I you? hope that the things that we can, I hope we transported the spirit and that oh, was you know, side by side. Yeah. And, and that's why things like the homeless that we do the, with the, the magpie nest is so important that we don't just become another corporate identity because corporate identities die. There's not too many companies around in 1892 that are still mm. alive, but Collingwood is because it's the people. But what we had to do is shape it for for a, a new millennium, and that's what it was. So taking over, I took it over on my birthday, 29th of October, 1998, and, uh, and then we got going and got stuck into it. And, yeah, the first year, I mean, you mentioned... All the pressure that was on at that stage and a lot of people asking, who's this bloke? He's the footy show host. Yeah. What's he doing? What would he know? Because yeah. uh, it was normally yeah. you know, well-known businessman that would take over. Yeah, so we lost... You were a sports journal. Lost money. Um, I was on TV getting belted every week as part of the show. Uh, the media lined up and got stuck into me and uh, when we won the wooden spoon and we walked out of Victoria Park and uh, I can imagine... I know how I felt that day. I mean, I felt so hollow and... Uh, I was scared witless. Not many people could see the future. You know, they couldn't understand Leave Victoria Park, MCG. No one really understood what that meant and how that worked. But yeah, or even then then the move to uh, to the Holden Centre, yeah. to Olympic Park, and ultimately being able to return back around, which was always my plan, to get hold of Victoria Park again so that we wouldn't lose it. And, uh, you know, we nearly did. It, it was nearly three soccer grounds and Richmond Cricket Club wanted to get on there, but we got on and we patched up any differences we had with Yarra Council and then we went and funded the rebuilding of Victoria Park. Uh, we don't ever get any credit for that, but we went and got funding for, for the rebuilding and uh, to give for credit where it's due, Lindsay Tanner, who's now the president of Essendon, authorised the, the rebuilding and uh, turned that into a magnificent community hub and we want to do a lot more down there. I want to make that into the, the hub for women's football and for, uh, and for junior football. And what we have to do is get out in the community now, Brian, because there's a, there's, the infrastructure is already breaking and we're going to double it with the women coming in. So we have to uh, get right into it. And I mean that out in the suburbs yeah. as well. So that's an important so, part of it. So Collingwood goes from a million-dollar turnover yeah. to... I think, is it 100 million now, Ed, or yeah, close to? Look, it was probably about 10 million turnover with a million right. dollar loss, and we're around 80 million now. But, uh, I mean, there's other things if you threw all that in, there's probably more. But, uh, yeah, $80 million. Do, do you see an end to you occupying the presidency? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. there's 19 years now. and I, I mean, you always ask yourself a question. Who else would want you at prison? I reckon every club in the league would put up their hand and want a president like you. So, Well, as long as you're doing the right thing for the right reasons. Now... You know, my boys are still at school. So, you know, take out that I've been there 19 years, I would be still young to be a president now, historically. Yeah. So if I started today, so would I start today, would I like to have the knowledge of what I've got for the last 19 years? Do I know where everybody is buried at AFL House? I've been to every president's yeah. meeting more than any other president. Uh, so you feel like you're there. just getting 
started. Well, I think it's just starting to warm into it, to yeah. be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> I do, Brian. I mean, it's a, because this is almost like a, a new era. So you have to attack it in a new way. I've refreshed my mind, building the glass house at, at, and getting that all done and, uh, getting, and paying for it cash, basically, is, is that's done. Now I'm into the next phase. And what does that mean? That's women's football. There's, there's a lot of other things. There's completely new infrastructure that needs to be found and built and creativity that needs to be there. That's why I'm looking at stadiums and what we have to do, not only for Collingwood, but for football in general. Because don't forget, if Collingwood didn't move to Olympic Park, football would have had not one bit of presence in the biggest sports precinct in the world, right? Mm. Even where we play, it's called the Melbourne Cricket Ground. There was nothing. So we got in there and then we, we put our foot on... Gosh's paddock for Melbourne to get in there and we kept Victoria Park and as a result of that we've been able to keep it. Now of course who would have known that women's football would become as big as it, it has and junior football is starting to explode again which is fantastic news. So we've got these facilities ready to go for the next, next part of uh, our, our history. How, how tough is it employing and then saying to people you've done your best, but it's time to move on. I it's mean, you're really confronted... Hard. This is a cycle thing that happens at every football club every five to ten years. Yeah. You're confronting it again now. Yeah, it's, it, oh, it's really hard, but I, what I've found, Brian, is that as the level lifts, those who can go with the lifting of the level step up and those who can't step out. Um, but you have to have good chief executives, football directors. I mean, they're there daily. I'm, I, I'm, you know, I swing in, swing out come in with ideas, drive them mad and then leave again. And, mm. you know, so people like Gary Pert and uh, uh, Jeff Walsh, David Emerson has been my concierge at Collingwood, you know, with all the marketing ideas we've had over the journey. And uh, they're good people down there. So do, we've got a good group. Do you sort of, you'd be watching TV one moment, you see your coach, you know, your current coach, Nathan Buckley, or whether it was Malthouse before, and, and you go, gee, I would have said it differently. And then when you go into the office, you say, hey, Mick, Bucks... Just seen that in I would have done it this way. Do you give them that sort of advice or well, not? And they give me that advice. Right. So, well, look, we, we don't have a hierarchical situation at Collingwood. I mean, you know, when I appointed Mick Malthouse, I mean, that was the best thing that, I, that ever could come to the club. I didn't have to worry about the footy department for, for three years. I didn't even look up. You know, Mick, he did that. I said, mate, you, run the, you get the footy department going and I'll bring the money in. Tell me what you need, I'll go get it. And that's what we did, and we we worked hand in glove. Mm. Nick was sensational, yep. and his uh, his impact on the Collingwood Football Club is profound. That's why, as, as soon as he was finished uh, out of uh, you know being in the opposition camp, we made him a life member, and we want Collingwood to be his club. And I think think he feels it. I, I know he's going back to Richmond a bit more, and has great memories at West Coast Eagles and and the Bulldogs for that matter. But we want Melbourne, uh, uh, his Melbourne club, to be Collingwood. Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, then Nathan Buckley has been fantastic as well. We've rebuilt the club. You know, a lot of changes had to happen. We decided, the board decided as well, to change uh, uh, where we were. We thought we'd, we'd nearly, you know, we were, we were going all right, but the idea of the changeover with Mick was to hand the baton over while we still had some horsepower, knowing that invariably you come down. You have to. That's what the AFL mm. system does to you. Yep. Now, Alistair Clarkson's going through what we did probably in 2013. He's going through that now. And you take a bit of pain because you want to come up as quickly as you possibly can. Mm. Um, just a couple of other things I want to touch on, Ed. Um, you're a founding member of Triple M Footy. Mm. Now, that's easy to say, but there was no footy on FM radio. This was a founding yeah. member of a new band of radio. Well, Brian, it was funny because what happened was um, I started a show called The Grill Team on Saturday mornings, which ran for the two years before Triple M Football, and the reason for that was to soften them up and tell show people at Triple M that a footy show-style show on a Saturday morning would go well. They had the could have beans going at that stage, of course, and we came on and we knocked them off in the very first rating and didn't lose for the two years we were on air. And... What we were able to show was there were more sponsors out there, and this is what we were, and we were always the build up was to get the footy. So for two years, every other day, I was driving everyone mad in there. We should get the football. Now your point's one hundred percent right. They did a little bit of football on KZFM, which I think was uh, ended up becoming Double T, which is now you know one of the other ones, like Mix or Gold or something these days. But what it was was uh, it was the old three KZ, and. They went to FM, but they still had Jack Dyer and, and Ian Major. So they were doing an AM call, if you like, on FM radio. Right. And it didn't work the first year because that 
whole thing was falling on its head and it was uh, I think the unions owned the station and you know it was just yeah. wasn't set up properly and um, so everyone had this idea that no people just will listen to football on AM well I thought well, why the only difference between AM and FM is you can actually hear it properly uh, you can have crowd effects and there's a new way of doing it yeah and that was nothing against any of the people who were calling football at stage quite the opposite I was inspired by them yeah and you and I called yeah, Harry Beitzel and did yeah. things like that Captain and the Major, you know, Ian Major was, gee, what a great caller he was. And and Jack Dyer, just uh, the first time I met him, I, I just couldn't believe I was shaking hands with Jack Dyer. But similarly to the way we did the, the footy show was to World of Sport and League teams, so too did I want to set up Triple M football that way. And uh, I remember you, Brian, calling with you uh, on community radio as we both yeah. both were trying to absolutely just get practice in and be heard. Uh, and I watched with interest how you went down to Paran and uh, what you were doing and you, you wrote the, the Taylor Diaries and you, you were doing all the things that you needed to do and I just saw your ambition and your professionalism at that stage and uh, that's why when we picked the team, we picked you and we picked Steve Quartermain mm. and myself and away we went. Yeah. And from that very first night, it was electric when we called that uh, yeah. that game out at Waverley at the MCG when uh, Wayne Carey did his shoulder and That's Pete right. Larkins jumped the fence. Yeah, the doctor was there. To walked around with him, interviewing him and actually helped put his shoulder in. And I remember after the game, we crossed down to the rooms in crystal clear audio while the others were still trying to get through on mobile phones and mate, the world changed that night as far as radio was concerned it was yeah, fantastic but was. you know it, it's in so many ways brian that that underlines the what i love doing i love getting involved in new things and and sort of setting setting them up and, that, and seeing that, where it lands that takes me to my next question because you were one of victorian's delegate uh, one of the delegates for victorian in the 1998 uh, constitutional convention this uh, has heightened my suspicion that perhaps down the road for you is pol politics. Well, it actually dampened my oh, ambitions <laughs> uh, being there, to be honest. I think I'm the only one who went up as an elected delegate who didn't go into politics. You know, Julie Bishop was there, Malcolm Turnbull was the uh, the New South Wales leader of the uh, or the leader of the Australian Republican movement. I was the Victorian leader, if you like. Um, and uh, so that was my first and only time to go to popular vote other than ratings, which is popular vote every day <laughs> of my life. But, uh, yeah, so that was nice to actually win the election in Victoria. Um, so I did. I won the election. Yeah. Had the most number of votes uh, of any candidate. and uh, But that was all for me about building a better Australia. Now, I would be lying if I said I didn't have a bit of a look at what was going on at that stage. But I realised at that time, Brian, that it would take a lot of... Uh, time, effort and a huge impost on my family, Personal. which I didn't have at that stage. I was mm. married to Carla, but the boys were uh, a couple of years away. But uh, in fact, the boys were, uh, Joe was born the next year. So we we're planning to have, have a family. And I thought, you know what, I reckon I can influence the areas that I'm interested in far better from a position of being one in the media or two in business and three, working with politicians from both sides. Because I, I realised one of the hardest things, and this might sound like I'm standing standing sitting on the fence but I, I realized that uh, in many ways I'm a, a, an, a, an economic dry and a and a, uh, a Democrat as far as social activities concerned so I'm probably a, a you know a social Democrat in the old so you're ruling it out yeah, oh, yeah I've got no interest yep. whatsoever none now listen to this <laughs> sports journo yeah game show host businessman footy commentator president of Collingwood which is your favourite? Oh, and don't forget the Melbourne Stars, mate. Oh, and the, and the chairman of the, the Melbourne Stars as well. Because, again, that was another one. 2020, yeah. no one yeah. thought it was going to work, and yeah. it's been sensational. Which is your favourite or the most satisfying? Now, don't give me all of them. No, well, it, uh, as I said, right at the very start, variety is the spice of life. Look, my great passion and joy and love and despair is Collingwood. It defined me as it's a... pretty obvious, really. It defined it? me as a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I, I often wondered. Uh, I actually said this when I when I finished up to go to be the CEO at nine was, was I involved in uh, the sports media because I love the media or because it it gave me a chance to be involved in footy, and I think it was being involved in footy to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, because I love doing other things. So it's not as if I was just wedded to the media. I love the football. I love the roar of the crowd. I still get excited every time I drive to a football match and I see little kids in their jumpers. Um, I remember distinctly still holding my dad's hand going to Victoria Park for the first time, hearing the roar at Victoria Park and feeling like I was part of a community 
for the first time in my life. Uh, you know, I was part of a great family, uh, the local community in Broadmeadows, but this was something bigger. This just took me to a whole world that I hadn't experienced. And I knew it was out there somewhere. I'd seen it on the television and suddenly I was experiencing it. And uh, watching Peter McKenna walk down to the goal square down at the railway end at Victoria Park that particular day, which just made it, you know, thank God we won the toss and kicked that way. <laughs> and he walked down towards me and I could see him and I was in the forward pocket and I just thought, wow. Don't tell me you winked at you. No, he didn't wink at me. <laughs> no. But my first time at the MCG, I was uh, standing right on the fence and he kicked one from the boundary line, one of nine against Richmond this particular day. And uh, I can still see that ball spinning and glistening in the sun as it, it went through the big sticks. And... Uh, I was gone from that moment on. This was this, this was just something special. So I love I love the footy, love the Magpies, of course, but I love the other clubs too. I love their yep. histories and, and and all the great players. Now Ed, don't bark at me here. Yes. Um, but you are an intensely private person away from the public eye. If that makes any sense at all, yeah. you are. No one hears anything about your private life or your business life. It's all behind closed doors and it's locked away. Now. What we can do in today's society is I can go and hit Google. Oh, yes. And I hit Google yeah. to just have a look and it said there that you're worth 50 million. <laughs> and I went, wow. Yeah, Carla did that too. She said, where is it? <laughs> she went shopping. So well, you've done well. <laughs> no, as you know, you don't believe everything you read on Wikipedia, mate, uh, or Google. Uh, uh, <laughs> I did. I saw that myself, Brian. I thought, yeah, that's why I'm getting up at 4.30 every morning. <laughs> All right, we'll move on. Um, uh, we still don't know any more about you in that area, but it's just amazing the way you've kept that quiet. Um, controversies have followed you, haven't they? I mean, you know, the goods, the caro, the footy show every week was some sort of controversy. Yeah. So when you look back and reflect on all that now, how do you think that's affected your career, if at all? Uh, look, yeah, look, the Adam Goods thing was, was just a total mistake. I was actually trying to say the opposite. That's what I was trying to say. So if I had one scintilla that I was trying to say something to, to belittle Adam, and it's as simple as this, Brian, I had... I went straight down into the Swans' rooms, as you may remember. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And uh, yeah, every scintilla of my body is against racism or or everything that I stand for is equality um, in every way, shape or form. Mm. My parents came out to Australia to get away from sectarianism. Um, you know, so that's what we stood for, um, you know, politically, uh, socially, morally. Um, everything I've done has been to try and help people who felt marginalised. I've... I am so strong, strongly in the corner of uh, Indigenous Australians and, and what needs to happen. Now, Adam one day rang me up uh, on a Sunday morning and uh, thanked me because I stood up for Andrew Cracker when some bloke had a crack at him. And I remember going on the media the next day and Tim Lane giving me a... trying to get interviewed because he reckoned I stood up and had a go at this bloke. And I did. I stood up. This bloke was, was getting very close. And I warned him. I gave him the point and I pointed him out and uh, he pulled his head in. So, you know, I was a bit disappointed that people didn't look at my history. Now, what happened was, and I'll tell you straight up, I was really sick at that stage. I was on painkillers and I was on uh, 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 medication that I should have been off work. The night before, I was at Melbourne Grammar and I was hosting a symposium into raising scholarships and paying for scholarships and raising $300,000 for Indigenous kids to come down. And we were debating whether this was a new sort of stolen generation because I was really moved by an interview I did with Cyril Rioli who told me how he cried every night basically for the first two years he was at Scotch College. Mm. So I'm thinking deeply about this. For the first two or three days of that issue, I'm taking talkback callers, people in the street, people ringing up saying... Adam Goods is a, he's a sork, he shouldn't have done it. I'm saying, no, 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 no. You know what... Do you understand what being referred to as an ape is to a, to a black man? So I knew exactly what it was. What I was was I zoned out as we are going to the, the 7 o'clock news and I was thinking in my head, in the old days of the Don Lane show, Bert Newton would come out dressed in a, a, an yeah. ape suit with a, with a swan's jumper on. Mm. And we were talking about the King Kong thing and I said, oh, you know, next thing... Yeah, well, here, they'll probably get you know, Goodsy in. Thinking probably in my own mind that my position was so cemented in where I stood on the issue. I'd said it for three hours a day, for three days in a row, had come out the next day, had supported Goodsy and all the rest of it. Now, whether this was an opportunity 
for people to jump on and get clickbait and give me a kicking, whether it was uh, politically motivated by other people in the media and the football world, I don't know. But once I found out what I'd said, which was in the first 30 seconds as soon as we went to the... I came out immediately and said, look, I think I said something that uh, wasn't what I was meaning and explained it and apologised. And then went on and apologised and apologised and apologised. So from that point of view, I was deeply hurt that I added any pain or any sorrow to Indigenous Australia, and particularly to Adam Goods. Mm. I mean, I think Adam's just a sensation. And uh, we reconciled, and uh, we we met uh, one time uh, uh, and uh, gave each other a hug and introduced him to my sons. And, you know, th- they had gone through a fair bit of it with me as well and uh, underlined to them what we stood for as a family and what I stood for as a person, and they got it. And I said, the only way that I can really make people understand that is to continue doing the work that I am doing in the in the community. Now, I've had ab, ab, Indigenous elders and wonderful people in the community come and say, we know what you're about. It wasn't good for us, um, but we understand what you're doing and, you know, basically we forgive you. And that was a great moment for me. As far as the Caro thing is concerned, that was, you know, that was having a crack at a colleague. It had nothing to do with women. It uh, the, inter, the interaction between... The Triple M boys went too far, mm. and that's why I apologise for that. Yep. There was no malice intended again there. So, two things in 35 years, um, both of which I look back and think, was I trying to be misogynistic? No. Uh, certainly, was I trying to be racist or a smart aleck in Adam Goods's position? Absolutely no. So I have a clear conscience, and I think people have uh, have w- gone on from that and realised, you know, that that's that's a fair comment. Right. And again, I've apologised to both. Yep, move on from that. What's a uh, completely different topic as I look around this uh, office here and I see bits of memorabilia. Yep. Have you got a favourite piece of memorabilia, by the way? Probably the photo behind you has uh, become one and that was a photo taken by the Herald Sun. And what that is is a photo of me and my two boys on the edge of the goal square at the MCG and the Collingwood uh, football team in the centre circle singing the song after winning the Premiership in 2010. Looks like about 8 o'clock at night. It is. It was after uh, everyone had gone and I came out into the race to watch them because I, I saw the boys going out and I just wanted to watch from afar. And uh, there were a few people yelling still and screaming, wanting autographs and things. And I just wanted to have a bit of quiet time with my two boys. And we moved over there just out of the way. And I didn't know anyone, I didn't certainly didn't know there was a newspaper photographer. And uh, the photographer took that image. And what I'm actually saying at that particular moment to my two boys uh, was that, uh, boys, this is what life is all about. You work hard, you work with people, you build a camaraderie, you have a common cause and you put it all together and you get to sing the song at the end of it and Mm. you have lifelong friends. And I said, trying to tell the boys, this is what football's about. It's not about the money, it's not about the glamour. It's about going out and fighting as a team and getting the ultimate reward. Yeah, it's a and, great photo. Uh, it's a great photo it and is. it means everything to me. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of quick ones, uh, Ed, uh, just sort of one word or one sure. sentence if you want. Uh, who's your favourite footy player growing up? Peter McKenna. Mm-hmm. Who's your favourite player in the current game outside of Collingwood? Good question. Um, I love Patrick Dangerfield, the way he plays. Best advice you've ever been given? Work hard. Mm-hmm. The best advice I have is... If I'm not as talented as my opponent and I work harder, I'm a chance. If I'm as talented and I work harder, I win. And if I'm more talented and I work harder, I flog them. Gee, that's... Uh, yeah, you've got to think about that, don't you? I'm with you. Um, the biggest lie in the media that they've ever told about you? Is there one that's really irked you and you've gone, oh. that's just not true? <laughs> well, there's one that was written that uh, actually they had to apologise was the Sydney Telegraph who said that I had gone into the RTA, their, their Vic Roads, if you like, and uh, uh, stomped up and down and demanded special treatment and also didn't even go. Oh, right. Hadn't <laughs> even been there. So, uh, you know, this is when the, 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 the hunt was on to get their scalp. Right. I mean, at one stage here, they were, they were really going after me. That phone's starting to warm up. Ed. We right, better uh, wind this up. Uh, last time you cried? Uh, when my dad died. Where do you see yourself in 20 years? 20 years. Hopefully polishing a number of silver cups <laughs> as I take tours around the new expanded Holden Centre uh, and uh, or maybe even a new stadium for the Magpies somewhere. If you can uh, chat. But uh, no, where would I be in 20 years' time? Look, uh, I, I hopefully will be um, still running my business, still involved in the game in some way, shape or form 
and uh, hopefully watching my two boys having successful lives. If you could change, imagine, wave the wand and change one thing in footy right now, is there one thing that stands out to you that you, you think we need to change? I don't know whether it's a rule or uh, something to do with drafting or whatever it is. But I think the AFL, this is going to be a wide-ranging one, but the AFL now needs to do what we're doing at Collingwood. And that is say, right, OK, we've had a successful era. Now we have to get into a new era. I think we pay too many people to be mediocre. Um, we need to make it an elite competition for elite sports people. Who so time for another blueprint. What was, yep. the, what was the name of the report that changed it? Well, they had a few. They had, well, there was the uh, Crawford report. That's right. Yeah, I think, I think it is. We've now, in one way, shape or form, stumbled and bumbled and, uh, and, and done a brilliant job. The AFL have done a brilliant job to get to 18 teams. All right, we've got that. Let's sort out once and for all whether Tassie's in, mm. in one way, shape or form. Now, you know, I, I won't get into the politics of Tasmania because I still need to talk to more people on it, but I don't quite know how we're going to get people to go and live in Tasmania at 18 years of age if we can't get them to live in Sydney. Mm. So th there's a few issues, social issues, that have to be addressed, not just the financial issues. But is there a way to do that? If there is, let's sort it out and let's get our competition right. Let's get the uh, money that's required for infrastructure right through the system. And uh, as I said, uh, maybe let's start... Uh, we might have been a little bit profligate with our money over the period. Maybe we've, it's time to just cut back and put the money into the right places. Do we need to set up a future fund? Yeah, I think it's good to have a future fund. But I think at the same time, what we have to do is make sure that the money's going into the right places. And maybe that future fund is building really good uh, uh, facilities in the suburbs of Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide, Perth, Queensland, mm. and uh, making sure that the future is still there. No point having a big future fund if no kids are playing. No. So just an ending, Ed, uh, this is, uh, you know, I look at you and I look at the workload and I go, maxed out. I look at your work ethic and it's the best I've ever seen. Uh, the thirst for work is unequalled. President of Collingwood, Chairman of the Melbourne Stars, Channel 9 Millionaire Hot Seat, Triple M Hot Breakfast, Foxtel Commentator, Chairman of Jam TV, husband to Carla, father to Joseph and Alexander. I tried to place allocated hours on a weekly basis against all of those things and unfortunately... That's why I've got two PAs. <laughs> you can't do all of those things, Ed. <laughs> You're probably right, Brian. Um, but as soon as you finish, I've got the uh, CEO of the Melbourne Stars coming in. And then once I finish that, I'm going down to Collingwood. Uh, my CEO, Cos Cardone, here at Maguire Media and Jam TV. We had meetings yesterday. Um, yeah, it, look, it is a full life, sometimes over full, and sometimes I have overdone it. And I'm, uh, uh, you know, with Adam Goods, that situation, I did. I hit the wall. I always said I'd love to, I'd rather hit the wall and find out where it is than die wondering. Yep. Well, I hit the wall and uh, I should have died wondering. Um, but John Bertrand has a great line. He says uh, it, when he was uh, uh, winning the America's Cup, he nearly blew the boat. Or he did blow the, the, the boat up a, a number of times because he was trying to go at 110%. He realised, no, you've got to go at 99.5 and just leave a little bit left in case you need to get there. Mm. So hopefully I'm trying to just stay off the red line a little bit, uh, Brian. I'm, I'm trying to get myself fit again at the moment for the next period of my life. And, uh, yeah, things will, will – I'll start to probably put a line through a few things now and, and uh, other people can come through and have their crack. Brilliant. Thank you. Keone Brian, it's a pleasure to work with you, mate. You've been one of my favourite uh, uh, workmates over a long period of time now. Uh, I reckon the way you call and host is just bringing a whole new vitality to the game and uh, it was a pleasure to be here this afternoon. Good on you. Thanks, Ed. Eddie Maguire. We're talking footy.